Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a bi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about a long requested topic, timeshares. I feel like most people nowadays know to avoid timeshares like the plague, and we've all seen some sort of timeshare salesman stereotyped on television or gotten that spam call, or you know maybe you've heard about how timeshares are almost impossible to exit, but that's really been about it. So why would someone buy a timeshare in the first place? Are there any situations where a timeshare is actually worth the money? Or is it basically just flushing your hard-earned dollars down the toilet? Well, I was really curious to see what the situation around timeshares is, so that's what we're talking about today. So let's just dive right into it. $8,000 we can buy a condo here? Well, you see, timeshare means you buy the condo with about 20 other people like yourselves. You share the condo with other investors and pick the time you want to stay. Share time. Timeshare. So then it's not really ours. Sure it is. One twenty-fourth and a half yours. You see, timeshare has made it possible for even working class people like you to say, I've got a little place in Aspen. So what is a timeshare exactly? And what's the history surrounding them? I think that's a pretty good place to start. The earliest timeshares actually started in Europe in the 1960s. The tourism industry was booming because of commercial air travel. So France and Switzerland were two of the first countries to debut vacation ownership packages. The French company, the Société des Grands Travaux de Marcel, sorry for butchering, began offering its timeshare product between 1964 to 1968. The resort offered by this company was a ski resort based in the French Alps called Super Devoli. Their advertising slogan was, no need to rent the room, buy the hotel, it's cheaper. The Swiss company also known for founding timeshares was called Happemag and was based in Bar, Switzerland. Shortly after founding the company in September, 1963, Hapamag's owner, Alexander Nett, and his associate, Guido Fengili, began buying resort properties in Italy, Spain, and Switzerland. Hapamag offered its members an extensive resort selection on a right-to-use basis instead of deeded ownership. Hapamag still enjoys timeshare success today and has remained independent of the largest exchange companies. Now, although Wikipedia states that the first US timeshare was in 1974 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I've seen other sources say that it was actually on the island of Maui in Hawaii in 1969. Point is, they've been around for a while now, and this it's cheaper to buy the hotel than rent the room slogan has been around for some time. Obviously, it's not true. I can grab a room in a decent hotel near me for less than 200 bucks a night. You can't buy a hotel for a few hundred bucks. I don't need a source for that. That one's just facts. But this idea appealed to a lot of people, ownership rather than renting. It's why owning a home is preferable to renting an apartment for so many. And don't get me wrong, there's property taxes, insurance, you have to handle it if something breaks, but when you own a house, it's part of your assets, you can sell it one day, and there's a bit more freedom in having your own space. So needless to say, these companies starting to sell timeshares were working off of that appeal. Wouldn't it be nice to own a place in France for cheap rather than rent when you're there sort of thing? But of course, with a timeshare, you don't really own any property, simply the right to be there. As Investopedia puts it, a timeshare is a shared ownership model of vacation real estate in which multiple purchasers own allotments of usage, typically in one week increments in the same property. 
The timeshare model can be applied to many different types of properties, such as vacation resorts, condominiums, apartments, and campgrounds. Sometimes there's fixed week models where a buyer has a set week each year or a floating week where the use of the property is limited to a season or rotating or flex weeks, then weeks are rotated backwards or forwards through a calendar. You kind of get the picture here. Even though this type of ownership really isn't for me, especially because I don't have a set work routine. So knowing my schedule in advance is nearly impossible. This just isn't what really bothers me about timeshares. No, that goes to the pushy sellers, the deceit, and just trying to get out of one. So we'll start there and with the Huns there, or well, I guess they're technically salespeople, but they're really scummy. There's plenty of sources out there that talk about this pushy attitude. I can't address all of them, but I want to paint a pretty clear picture of the stereotypical timeshare salesman. They tend to sell the same story. It's all pretty cookie cutter and they've got the same method for reeling people in. Well, it's pretty similar with these timeshare salespeople. Sales Readiness Group gave me one example where a salesman offered them a few hundred dollars worth of free dinners and discounts if they attended a 90 minute sales presentation. Hell yeah, right? Free dinners, yeah, sign me up, I'm all for it. However, timeshares as the article states are ultimately an impulse purchase. People don't typically go on vacation with the goal of buying a timeshare. Once someone gets their free dinners, they're out. So the salesperson has to focus on closing. Jacob Jacobi said, the first hint of this came after the rapport building free breakfast. Our salesperson started out by stating that we were under no obligation to buy anything. He then added that he only wanted us to buy if we absolutely loved what you're about to see. Sounded fair and reasonable. But then he asked us a series of highly manipulative questions, including, do you like taking vacations? Why do you like taking vacations? Are taking family vacations important to you? If I could show you how to save money on your vacations, would you be interested? Of course, these questions weren't being asked to help us understand our own needs better or enable the salesperson to develop valuable insights into our problems. These questions were obviously designed to trap buyers into agreeing that they should take more vacations. Taking vacations is something that's good for their family and that being a timeshare owner could save them money. After briefly showing us the timeshare property, the conversation shifted to closing. For the next hour, we were trapped in a conference room while our salesperson tried his best to close us. First, he used a few trial closes, such as, have I presented you with enough information to make a decision? Despite my negative responses, our salesperson nevertheless kept pushing forward, trying to close us on the expensive timeshare option. When that didn't work, he offered us progressively cheaper options. I stood my ground, firmly rejecting each option. At this point, the salesperson berated me for not taking advantage of such a great opportunity to lock up a lifetime of quality family vacations and tried to close again. And this is a common thing among timeshare salespeople. Hey, do you want some free stuff? Just give me an hour of your time. Then you're stuck giving them hours and hours while they push a hefty long-term purchase down your throat. At least with an MLM, even if you're pressured into buying the starter kit, you can toss that in the trash and quit the next day. But not only is this a horrible way to do business because of the aggressive nature, it's just not addressing anyone's needs or wants either. Absolutely ignoring what comes out of someone's mouth to try and make a sale. Yeah, that sounds like all the huns we talk about in multi-level Mondays. Even though this experience sounds frustrating, it's far from the nightmarish ones people seem to describe either. And I'm just gonna deviate here for just a moment because I've actually done one of these little timeshare shenanigans things and I've gone through the talk in the sales pitch. So let me tell you a little bit about what happened when I got put through the ringer on this. 
So this was many years ago when I went to Las Vegas with a boyfriend for just like a little getaway. We were walking down the main part of the strip and there's someone that approached us and was like, hey, we'll give you like a hundred dollars of free dinners if you just come listen to a speech for like an hour. So we were like, sure, we've got like an hour to kill, no big deal. So they pulled us aside, they took like some of our initial information and then we got put into this like stretch limo and taken away to somewhere far down on the edge of the strip. And we got to walk around like these rooms and stuff that they were obviously going to try and hard sell us on. And it was just honestly not super impressive. So I was already like, damn, this is gonna suck. But I was like, yeah, we're already here. So I guess we're gonna go through this. So they tried to sell you on this thing and I forgot how much it was, but all I remember is that they wanted like a 25 or $40,000 deposit just to do a room in Vegas for like once a week at like this hotel that was super far off strip, like where nothing made sense. There was nothing fun there. Like I'll just pay like a hundred dollars more every time I go, not have to pay a 20 or $40,000 deposit for a room that's far away from anything. And just, I'll do it that way. And I get to pick a hotel and I get to pick every detail every time I go. And I gotta tell you, these guys, when they try to close on you, this is some aggressive behavior. And this is coming from someone who used to sell cars, right? I used to put other people through the ringer to a degree but never anything like this, what I experienced. It was absolutely insane the way they try to corner you into these rooms and they'll bring in like their super manager. They'll be like, look at these people across the way in this other room. They're just signing on this amazing room. You could be like this too. But I did persevere with my partner at the time. And after we left, here's what was kind of funny. So the hundred dollars in gift cards or whatever, it was coupons for again, some weird restaurant. It wasn't for anything interesting. So we never even used it. So we kind of, that got lost. And then for all like the rejects or whatever that didn't sign into their little timeshare deal, you got put back on this bus that they had no air conditioning on. And this is when I went to Vegas in like the middle of the summer and they had no air conditioning on the bus. Like it just made you feel so, so grimy when you left. So that was my one and only experience with timeshares. And unfortunately from what I've heard and what we're gonna continue hearing, this is pretty normal. So if you ever hear someone asking you for like an hour to go hear their timeshare shit or whatever, do not do it. All right, so now let's continue to some of the worst experiences that other people have had with timeshares. Kiplinger published an article in December, 2018 that said, hours long pressure filled timeshare encounters leave two couples in tears. They write, if you tend to speak like a two year old, then every word uttered is no, then it's probably safe for you to attend a timeshare presentation. But for anyone else, the chance at a free lunch or theme park tickets may not be worth spending hours of your time listening to sales pitches such as, it's a great investment, which will increase in value, beat ever increasing hotel rates, yield family fun, and can be left to your heirs. A couple was in their mid seventies, Dale, a Vietnam vet who flew F4 Phantoms and his wife, June, who has dementia. They had owned a Vegas timeshare for several years, but seldom are able to use it as the dates they wanted were almost always booked up, Dale said. Finally, they got lucky and a room was available. When checking into their timeshare hotel, they asked if there was a way to lower the $2,500 yearly maintenance fee. They were directed to speak with Alex, a sales representative. It was the beginning of a nightmare where they were mentally and seemed physically held captive for hours, they said. For more than four hours, they were yelled at, not even allowed to use the bathroom until we had purchased a new timeshare for over $10,000, including closing costs of $2,800 put on a credit card, which I kept telling them we did not want, Dale told us tearfully. Do these things happen? You better believe it, Morse, director of operations at Resort Release says, adding that the elderly and people in poor health are often targets. They are terrified of getting up and walking out. They are truly paralyzed with fear. 
This may not be everyone's experience with timeshares. I'm not saying if you've been to a fantastic presentation, then you're absolutely the odd one out. It does happen, I'm sure. But the hard sell is still used frequently because it works. Red Week consulted with developers, executives, and consumer advocates all on the topic of timeshares and canvassed board members at legacy resorts, all in the name of answering the question, has anything changed? Are timeshares still sold this way? They stated that the answer they found was, well, sort of. The industry's self-governing reform efforts are making progress, but still have a long way to go. Some developers promote quality assurance programs and transparency to ensure that customers are adequately informed about their possible purchase. To improve the consistency of their messaging, many companies are enthusiastically using high-tech tools, including videos, internet presentations, and tablets to educate owners and potential buyers about the benefits of spending an estimated $25,000 per week for a lifetime vacation option. Some independents, meanwhile, still rely on traditional four-on-one high-pressure pitches, grilling and grinding away on couples to get them to sign contracts. While buyers aren't chained to a desk, many still feel intimidated by the sales experience. Why do companies still rely on the hard sell? Because it works. And hey, that's fantastic that some reforms are being made. I applaud that and I hope it happens more. It's just the high pressure sales people in this situation use that I have the most problem with, especially given how they target those that seem to need the money the most, the elderly and those in poor health. A lot of you watching this may not fall into those categories, but for those that do, having finances for medical bills, for retirement, that's important. And taking advantage of those that have dementia or are more vulnerable than most is scummy. One couple featured on CBS Los Angeles even says they were offered $450 for a 90 minute presentation that turned into eight hours. They waited because they wanted the $450 and after six hours of constant pressure, they were offered alcohol. And sure, they drank it because they were thirsty, but isn't it funny how they weren't offered water? Yeah, it's just the salespeople trying to get them drunk and be a little more pliable. They were initiating and signing easily swayed after hours and hours of not drinking, not eating, exhausted. Well, it's no wonder they were out of it so fast. The couple tried to cancel, but then the collection call started threatening legal action. Not to mention one saleswoman said they only serve alcohol as a celebration despite an ex-salesman admitting that alcohol was brought to potential buyers without them asking for it before anything was in writing. As if pressuring someone wasn't enough, now these salespeople are knowingly signing up drunk buyers at tens of thousands of dollars. Rick Pons, a former timeshare salesman, even wrote a book detailing these shady tactics called Lying for a Living. In his book, Pons diagrams a typical hard sell timeshare operation. It starts with a person called the liner who is often the first to make contact with the target. At this stage of the presentation, the liner's main responsibility is to show the couples a good time, Pons says. You do this during the breakfast and the tour that follows while at the same time, you obtain as much information about them as you can. Pond says very often a couple will establish good rapport with the first members of the sales team, but will abruptly sour on the individual during the close. That's when others are sent in to salvage the sale and they take no prisoners using tactics pawns names as pitting the couple against each other, humiliation, pity, and promising the unit will pay for itself by renting it out. Pawn makes it clear that he is not painting all timeshare operators with the same brush. The bad ones he says will lie about almost anything. Pawn says they will even lie about whether or not they are a timeshare, which he says has now become a loaded term that no one likes to use anymore. Instead, they may be called vacation clubs, all-inclusive clubs, or fractional ownership clubs. Pons believes the timeshare industry after some 40 years is being forced to evolve. 
With competition from newer, higher quality resorts, the worst players are dropping by the wayside. Still, when you're on vacation, better to keep your guard up. Again, it's awesome that many of these bad ones are starting to drop, but they're not gone completely. This is still something to be aware of because if something sounds too good to be true, like getting paid over $400 to listen to someone talk, well, it probably is. Now it's time to shift gears to start talking about the contracts and what happens if you do get stuck in a timeshare. But before we get into that, let's take a moment to thank today's sponsor. We've all got goals in life, to be healthy, find a work-life balance, improve our friendships, but have you thought about your hair goals? Well, Function of Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulations for your hair's specific needs. First, you take a quick quiz to tell them a little bit about your hair type, your goals, such as lengthening, volumizing, or oil control. For example, I said that I have straight hair and I really wanna work on moisturizing since I live in Colorado and it is a very dry climate here. Then after that, you choose your color and your fragrance. And I chose like the teal colors. I think they're like listed as like the new ones because I just thought they were really aesthetic for summer. And I also chose the peach scent because I think the peach scent is like, I love peach smells. So I was like, that's an easy yes. And then that's really it. They ship it off, deliver it to your door and it shows up and that's it. It was super easy. And every ingredient in Function of Beauty is vegan and cruelty-free and they never use sulfates or parabens. And you can go completely silicone-free with an option as well too. So if you wanna get started today with Function of Beauty, make sure you go to functionofbeauty.com casket to take the quiz and save 20% off your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Again, go to functionofbeauty.com casket to let them know we sent you and get 20% off your first order. functionofbeauty.com casket. So the question remains, what happens if you do actually sign that contract and you get stuck in a timeshare? Well, that's the next factor for this whole mess and how they're nearly impossible to get out of or at least a major headache. If you just look on Google at how to get out of a timeshare, one of the first results is from money.us news, which recommends calling the developer, renting it out, selling it and expecting to take a hit, gifting it, stop your payments, but obviously expect consequences and avoid scams. The list is quite laughable. Seriously, your options are to now harass someone to buy it from you while in parentheses, they say expect to take a hit rent it, give it away, or stop payments, which has a whole host of consequences, or avoid the scam you fell for in the first place. If you get into a bad lease, sure, it absolutely sucks, but at least a lease is typically a year long. Timeshare contracts can be five years, indefinite, 99 years or more. Many are at least 20 years. Hell, even Allie, who's been helping me with this video, says her fiance is still receiving mail about a deceased family member's timeshare that died over 10 years ago. USA Today wrote that in late 2018, that timeshares are far more difficult to escape than you might think. Even if this industry is getting better, this article is still super recent, so it shows it's not improving fast enough. Here's what it says. Getting into a timeshare is easy, getting out isn't. Kathy Acero knows that. She recently decided that her Rancho Mirage California timeshare, which she paid off years ago, wasn't worth keeping. It didn't fit my lifestyle, says Asaro, a retired sales manager from Foster City, California. Just one problem, there was no way out. Her contract, like most timeshare agreements, had a perpetuity clause. When she phoned the timeshare company to request that it take back her unit, a representative cheerfully informed her that she was stuck with her condo and the $1,300 in annual maintenance fees forever. 
If she failed to pay her maintenance fees, the company politely threatened to report her to a credit agency. She's not alone. A University of Central Florida study found that 85% of timeshare owners who go to contract regret their purchase. That's a lot of unhappy timeshare owners. And lately they've been asking me if those perpetuity clauses are really forever. They're not. Getting out of a timeshare is considerably more difficult than getting in, says Lisa Ann Schreider, author of the book, Timeshare Vacations for Dummies, but it's possible. First, a reality check. No one wants you to be unhappy with your timeshare, especially the timeshare industry. We want to ensure that timeshare owners have the option to exit their timeshare in a safe and transparent way, says Peter Roth, a spokesperson for the American Resort Development Association, a trade group that represents timeshare developers. The industry's own surveys show almost the exact opposite of the UCF study, suggesting 85% of all timeshare owners are happy with their purchases. If you're among the 15% who want to invoke the escape clause, you can ask your timeshare company, hire a lawyer, or sell your timeshare through a third party. And these purchasers have asked for voluntary surrenders before, but the answer is always no. So it's not as if they're trying that suggestion we saw from USN earlier about calling the developer. I'm far more likely to believe the UCF study here that 85% of timeshare purchasers regret it rather than, you know, what people selling their timeshare says is the truth. If a timeshare is a great purchase for those 15% of people, then awesome, I'm glad they don't regret it. I'm not saying a timeshare is useless for everyone, but the tactics often used to sell them are shady. If you have such an incredible product that's beneficial to most people, then why the fuck would you need someone drunk to buy it and trap them into a contract? And why would you need to lure someone in with the promise of free dinners, breakfast, money, whatever, to get them into your product? That couple we saw from earlier on the news only escaped theirs because they had CBS on their side investigating. In two weeks, they were able to get more accomplished with the help of the media than the couple could get done in 17 months. So it really makes me wonder how many other people are stuck in these situations and can't get out. In fact, timeshares are so damn good at harassing people that there's even articles out there explaining to people how to set up trust funds so that timeshare developers will be able to take from them rather than go after their next of kin. Timeshare experts say it's usually not necessary that there's a variety of options to assure no one gets stuck with the obligations, but the sheer amount of articles and posts about this particular topic is pretty staggering. People worry about these timeshares coming after them when their parents die because, hey, the company has been proven to be ruthless. Overall for many, it's just not worth it. Now, that's obviously my opinion here, but I think most people on vacation are, at least to some extent, wearing rose-colored glasses. They might be thinking, we do need to do this more often, or I wanna do this again, because hey, who wants to leave freaking Hawaii, right? So when someone puts it on as a vacation club, it makes it sound as you'll be able to go there much more often and it'll be cheaper or whatever the hell they're trying to say. It may be technically legal apart from the being drunk part, but it's a shitty way to do business. You aren't really investing in anything because timeshares depreciate in value, just like a car, and it's incredibly rare that they'd increase. They don't generate income. It's not like owning a vacation property or real estate. There's a substantial amount of fraud in the reselling industry. The market's flooded and more are being built all the time. The gifts, the tickets, the gambling chips, whatever the hell it is that someone offers, it's just not worth it, at least in my opinion. There's even been lawsuits as recent as March, 2020 against timeshare owners, such as Wyndham Vacation Resorts for lying to buyers in sales presentations. Filed in Delaware, the 26 page suit alleges specifically that Wyndham has used consistently deceptive and misleading sales practices to pressure consumers in Nevada and Tennessee into signing contracts with the company. 
The lawsuit claims consumers are repeatedly lied to by Wyndham sales representatives during lengthy sales presentations that take up to six or seven hours and are told they will save money by becoming timeshare owners and enjoy a dizzying array of choices. The case alleges, however, that the opposite is true. Wyndham sales representatives fail to disclose certain fundamental aspects of the company's timeshare program, including that $15,000 to $25,000 worth of timeshare points sold by Wyndham could be resold on eBay.com for as little as $1, that timeshare owners would often be forced to book vacations over a year in advance due to persistent availability issues at desired Wyndham resort locations, that ever-increasing annual maintenance fees would eventually cause the overall value of some owners' timeshares to fall below zero, and that Wyndham properties were often cheaper and more readily available through public websites such as tripadvisor.com. Stressing the last point, the lawsuit alleges that Wyndham has intentionally and consistently failed to disclose the prospective buyers that through public vacation booking websites, they can often travel to the same destination with greater flexibility and without spending the average cost of $21,000 to become a timeshare owner. I could go on and on. These allegations are rampant, but as it turns out, Wyndham has been sued before. A 2015 Red Week article said that two recent legal cases, one in Wisconsin, the other in Tennessee, may give timeshare owners hope there is indeed a light at the end of their timeshare tunnel. As these cases show, sometimes the little guys, rank and file timeshare owners, actually win a case against big brand name resort developers. In the Wisconsin case, the Wyndham timeshare chain, the largest publicly owned timeshare company in the world, agreed to pay $665,404 in restitution to 29 owners as part of a court approved settlement announced May 29th by the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade and Consumer Protection. And seriously, do these companies ever learn? They were sued in 2015, lost, and had to clear records with credit companies and pay restitution, yet they're still getting sued again a few years later. They're pushy, they do not learn from their mistakes, and it only gets worse the more you look into it. Apparently, even scheduling your allotted time has been difficult in the past, hard enough that misrepresentations about the ease of scheduling have led to states passing laws to outlaw these deceptive statements. And you can't count on renting it out either, depending on your contract. And facing timeshare foreclosure if payments are late is a whole separate beast entirely. Overall, taking a look at this, I don't really see a benefit. Who wants to pay for a room in advance that's worth far less than what you're paying for it? I know that for 15% of people that buy them, they don't regret it. But a 15% customer satisfaction rating is abysmal. And it says a lot about how this whole damn industry operates. It's supposedly getting better, but it needs to hurry up because a lot of these articles weren't exactly old. So with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode on timeshares with the corporate casket. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to like, subscribe, or follow wherever you're listening to this so that you can stay up to date on all the most recent episodes whenever those go live. And if you wanna connect with me outside of here, make sure to go to the description box and look for my Linktree link and it'll give you all the links to various projects that I work on, my social media, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in to another Corporate Casket. Love you guys and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.